Hi, this is Noelle, just a typical ADHDer, and I just got back from the documentary What We Left Behind, which is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, my favorite Star Trek series, directed by Ira Bear and um, David Zapone. I know that uh, Ira Bear did a lot uh, of work on Deep Space Nine as a showrunner. After a few screw-ups where uh, the movie somehow started, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes in, and then we lost audio, and then we got audio and lost visuals, they restarted the movie and we got to watch uh, the documentary. There were plenty of Star Trek nerds in the theater, as far as I could tell. A lot of people were drunk, I think. The movie itself was, you know, a bit cheesy, but sometimes very touching and even powerful. It was definitely a labor of love. They made it for the actors because a lot of people were a little bit unhappy with the fact that Deep Space Nine, which was the third major series of Star Trek after the original series and then The Next Generation, didn't have a lot of success when it first came out. Apparently, uh, Armin Shimmerman, who played Quark, this nasty but charismatic little alien on Deep Space Nine, uh, he said that just you wait. In 20 years, they're going to finally understand what we're doing. And yeah, now that it's on Netflix streaming... People have revisited the show, and it's becoming much more popular. I find it interesting that Voyager gets so much crap, and a lot of the criticisms of Voyager come from its lack of continuity and care for its characters. And to me, it feels like if Deep Space Nine and Voyager were switched in terms of when they came out, both of them would have been more popular and successful. Of course, if that had happened, neither of them would have been created because it was a series of weird circumstances and the cast being in the right place at the right time that made the shows what they were. In fact, the the fact that Deep Space Nine became less popular than the other Star Trek series is what allowed them to push boundaries of what they were supposed to do. But in theory, Voyager was very episodic, more lighthearted overall than Deep Space Nine. Um, and so you can criticize it for not pushing Star Trek forward as the previous versions really had. They had tried to push boundaries in one way or another. But it also seems to me that Voyager benefits from watching it episodically, really just individually, maybe watching a few episodes here and there. Certainly every week when it came out on TV, people didn't necessarily notice a lot of the continuity issues, or I'm guessing they didn't. According to this documentary, when Deep Space Nine came out, producers and the TV network were really opposed to any storytelling that carried over from one episode to another because then you would be lost. But a lot of the creators and writers became pretty adamant about that because they thought it made sense for the story. 
the fact that people would watch the show, which started in 1993, and then miss an episode and then maybe have no idea what was going on, supposedly was a detriment to them. And then later, it's interesting that Voyager was criticized for being too disconnected from the other episodes and from Star Trek in general. So again, to me, if Voyager had come out after Next Gen, maybe it would have been more widely accepted and more popular. And if Deep Space Nine had come out a few years later, when they were starting to do more serialized storytelling. So I thought it was touching, like I said, that the producers and directors, or a few of them at least, decided to make this documentary in honor of the actors who definitely struggled. Everybody was working long days. And when uh, an actor from The Next Generation came over to the cast several seasons in, he was shocked at how somber the set was. If you don't know about Deep Space Nine or much about Star Trek... Deep Space Nine is set in a space station. There's debate as to whether the idea was stolen from Babylon 5, a TV show that came out around the same time, but the script had been around before. There are a lot of similarities between the shows, not in tone, but in themes and plot. They both have very strong religious elements to them, which stands out in science fiction especially in Star Trek, since it comes from a more, I guess, logical, secular standpoint. The previous Star Trek iterations had been about trekking through the stars, exploring several hundred years in the future. We know a bunch of aliens who look almost just like us. Earth is now a utopia, so we see what we can learn out there in space. In the documentary, various people read hate mail that came out at the time um, from fans, or I guess not fans, enemies, I don't know, but Star Trek fans who hated Deep Space Nine because it wasn't Star Trek for so many reasons. It was not utopian, it was not on a spaceship, they weren't traveling and discovering new things, they were stuck. And they don't mention it in the documentary, but the space station, Deep Space Nine, was a Cardassian station. Cardassians are one of the most well-developed species in Star Trek, thanks to Deep Space Nine, but also one of the most reprehensible. People basically refer to them as space Nazis because they are fascists. Their entire planet is a fascist state. And I kind of love the fact that they took this despicable alien and made them so central to the story. And they also took the Ferengi, which Quark is, another fairly repulsive type of alien who is kind of this uber-capitalist, and developed them on Deep Space Nine. They really made a point to be very different from their predecessor, Next Generation. In this documentary, Ira Bear ends up bring on a bunch of writers and former producers, designers, costumers, makeup artists. So the project became a lot bigger than he expected. They also ended up embarking on this really ambitious 
project to enhance. It was originally maybe three minutes of footage to make it Blu-ray quality. So they had to request the original film, which included all sorts of stuff that I think wasn't even in the original series. Um, But then it expanded to five minutes and then it expanded to 22 minutes because they don't know if it will ever be enhanced officially. One of my favorite parts of the documentary is that they touch on some of the most important social commentary that Deep Space Nine presents. They talk about racism, and I do want to warn you that there are clips of people being beaten up and possibly murdered by police. They talk about anti-black racism specifically, racism in general, because the captain of Deep Space Nine is a black man. And in a few episodes, they revisit the 1950s. So the movie makes a direct comparison between what is happening now, what happened in the 50s, and what happened in the 90s when the show was being filmed, like the Rodney King riots. They discuss homelessness because there are several episodes where they travel back in time. By the way, this is to maybe five years into our future, where it's this almost dystopian version of Earth, which is almost the way we are now, where homelessness is at an extreme, though there are, of course, some people who are living it up. They briefly talk about terrorism, because one of the main characters is a terrorist, an anti-Cardassian terrorist named Kira Nerys, and they talk about how very different she would probably be if this had been after 9-11. Because she is a heroic character in spite of the many gray or violent things really she has done. And she suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder, which they also talk about because a number of other characters suffer from that. A lot of the series ends up exploring war which the original producers were really against because the idea of the original Star Trek by Gene Roddenberry was that they don't talk about war, they don't address war. They want to focus on the more positive things in the future. They mentioned some of the amazing female characters, and they also talk about uh, LGBT issues because... I remember when I watched it uh, all the way through, I thought, wow, almost all of these characters are bisexual or gay or all sorts of orientations other than purely heterosexual, even though it's rarely explicit. They had, I think it was one of the first on-screen kisses between two women on television. Some of the Producers were also really homophobic, so they could only go so far. And I like the fact that they said uh, they don't entirely get credit for addressing that issue because they didn't go as far as they could have. By the way, the documentary is called What We Left Behind, and the final episode of Deep Space Nine is What You Leave Behind. Ooh, another fun aspect is they get some of the original writers in the room and they discuss what a pilot for an eighth season of Deep Space Nine would look like. Some of it's 
pretty funny. It's all very dramatic. Some of it is super powerful because the whole series ends on a bittersweet note, which is also unusual for Star Trek. A line that kind of describes Deep Space Nine is, it's easy to be a saint in paradise. As I mentioned, Earth is now a utopia, and that's part of what the series is trying to get at. They're not on Earth anymore. I could probably dedicate many episodes to talking exclusively about Deep Space Nine, so for now, I will admit that I've only seen Deep Space Nine and Voyager from beginning to end. The original series is something I've seen a few episodes of, but mostly I realize I'm familiar with the movies. And I know that the movies can be very different from the TV shows. My parents didn't really watch the show growing up. It came out in the 60s and was really progressive for its time, in spite of now having a lot of issues. And it's become a movie franchise even now. However, it seems like what most people think of when they think of Star Trek in general is Spock, a Vulcan, a very logical but generally kind alien, Captain Kirk, a bit of a rogue, but again, in the original, he's actually fairly responsible in comparison to how he's portrayed in the movies and how popular culture remembers him. Next Generation had Captain Picard, played by British thespian Patrick Stewart. So he elevated the acting of the series. I kind of grew up with that one, at least in the background, and I grew up knowing that was the best Star Trek, according to, again, my parents. That was, I would say, of the Star Treks I've seen, the most professional crew, the most staid, and some of the episodes were very thought-provoking and even moving. Others, not so much. Um, something I found that several of the series, except for Deep Space Nine, tends to do is talk about humans and human culture, as though humanity has one culture. And I think that all of the shows, including Next Gen and certainly Deep Space Nine, struggled with the variety of showrunners and people who were controlling the storytelling. There were many times when the more conservative elements won out and they weren't really able to progress as much as they wanted to or they should have. Apparently, Next Generation's first season is quite rocky, so I'm kind of nervous about starting that, even though I've seen episodes here and there. I'm also a little nervous about starting the original series because some of those are a mess, but we'll see. I think I kind of spoiled myself by watching Deep Space Nine from beginning to end first. That was a show that I remembered bits and pieces of from my childhood because it was coming out on TV when I was really young. So I remembered a few episodes here and there, and I always remembered it as the political one. Voyager was the one I was most attached to, and I had seen more episodes of that than any of the other show. I still think it's quite charming. The cast is quite endearing. The storyline of that is that this spaceship gets thrown to the other side of the galaxy by this powerful alien. 
and they have to try to find their way home. And in fact, there are two factions. There's the the spaceship, the Starfleet people who are the rule-following humans and Vulcans and various other aliens. And then there's the Maquis, which is portrayed differently in Voyager than it is in Deep Space Nine. But in that series, they're essentially rebels, not against the Federation or Starfleet, but they don't follow their rules. That has Captain Janeway, the first female captain in the Star Trek franchise, at least as a main character. Watching Voyager from beginning to end right after watching Deep Space Nine from beginning to end did make me really miss Deep Space Nine because it didn't hold up in the same way. But on the other hand, it's a lot easier for me to just sit down and watch a random episode of Voyager um, because as my brother always describes, they don't have a care in the world, which is an exaggeration, but uh, Deep Space Nine deals with issues of colonialism, imperialism, genocide, and all sorts of other really intense themes that are rarely dealt with on television ever. And that's something I'll always appreciate about the series is they really delve into, as much as they can at least, the mentality and the psychology of being an imperialist, as the Cardassians are, and of being the occupied victims, as the Bajorans, this particular planet and aliens, uh, are. Enterprise came after Voyager, and... That was a prequel, but it was a huge disappointment. I heard that it got better later. I ended up giving up on it. It had a white male captain, which isn't inherently bad, but to me it seemed like they were trying to make a point that this is in the, quote, past, so they're not going to be as progressive as they are later. However, the whole idea of that is ridiculous because it still is hundreds of years into the future for us. On top of that, the characters were very prejudiced and racist against other aliens, even though you'd think there would be a lot of novelty there. And the show generally goes out of its way to make the humans look better than aliens that are far more advanced than we are. I also had no connection to the characters. They barely developed, or I had a strong aversion to them. So yeah, I gave up on that. That was probably way back when I was in high school. I thought about adding uh, Enterprise to my list of rewatches, but after revisiting it a little bit, I just still feel the same way, so I don't think I'm going to do that. What came after, and most recently, was Star Trek Discovery, which I had hopes for, but was very disappointed by what I heard about it and what I saw. Not because it had a more diverse cast. That made perfect sense and was incredibly refreshing. Because again, this is the future, and even in the present, people other than you know, I guess white men actually exist. So I guess there was a huge backlash against the show for being too politically correct because it actually had uh, main characters who were non-white women as main characters. 
I, yeah, anyway. But the first half of the first episode was aired on television. I thought that was the whole premiere episode. It wasn't because the second half was on CBS's streaming site, I believe. Um, so you have to pay extra to watch the actual show. And in fact, you have to pay extra to watch the rest of the first episode. I was impressed by the visuals of the series. They were gorgeous. Uh, the acting was fine. I wasn't particularly interested in the characters. In fact, the main character really turned me off, which also was weird to me because the series, except for the original, did not have a main character, really. Maybe the captain. But other than that, they had a cast of characters, especially Deep Space Nine, which had a huge, huge cast of minor characters. As somebody in the documentary said, the character who is the least developed in Deep Space Nine is more developed than many main characters in other television shows. But the whole thing felt sort of off. My friend pointed out that everyone was extremely relaxed and you couldn't tell what anyone's rank was, which is funny because it's the type of thing I don't usually notice at all and I don't usually care about it. But I think subliminally, yeah, subliminally it did affect my enjoyment of it or at least my connection to the Star Trek universe because these characters were in uh, Starfleet which is kind of a non-military military. And yet everyone was just kind of casually talking, walking onto the bridge randomly, doing things that were very xenophobic sometimes. It was really jarring to me, especially considering the main character was supposed to have been raised by Vulcans who are the logical aliens and unemotional detached aliens and she was more emotional and irrational than I am even though this is supposed to be the future and she was raised by an unemotional logical species and she was extremely unprofessional so anyway apparently the pilot has nothing to do with the rest of the series so I don't know but I was willing to give it a chance until I read an article in the New York Times about what direction they were moving in and what shows they were inspired by for the series. And it made me realize that other than Brian Fuller, who ended up leaving the show, the people interviewed, at least, seemed to have very little interest in Star Trek and very little understanding of the series as a whole. Sometimes I like series or movies or adaptations that do something different as long as I am connected to the characters and the story and the themes. But in this case, for one, they didn't even know what they were talking about because they were saying that now is a very dark time, unlike in the old days, which apparently wasn't dark at all. It was like a happier time even though there were riots and wars. Anyway, I just felt like that was an incredibly naive statement. And they said they were inspired by shows like Game of Thrones and probably Breaking Bad because they wanted to address actually serious issues. It seemed as though they didn't see anything other than maybe the original series and maybe some of Next Gen because all of Deep Space Nine is about the aftermath 
of essentially a war and then an actual war. And they were, you know, acting as though they were really revolutionary. A lot of the people involved had directed some of the movies or were involved in some of the movies. And one of the showrunners actually said it would be cool to be able to explore more of the themes that he was able to portray in the movies in an extended series, as though the movies came first. They also said that they didn't need to watch every episode of Star Trek to get the idea. And I was just thinking, I don't... This, if this is your actual job and you don't even bother to watch the series or hire people who know what they're talking about, then all you're doing is capitalizing off of the name Star Trek. Now, to be fair, they actually... I, they do hire a lot of writers, I think, who were involved in previous... Star Trek series. So that's not an entirely fair statement, but that extreme ignorance just made me feel like this whole thing was a ploy because the episode I saw really did seem to have more similarity to Star Wars, for example, than Star Trek. And I was already turned off by the fact that this whole thing was seemingly designed to make people subscribe to CBS's online service. Which, again, to me was very anti-Star Trek because they're basically in a socialist utopia. So you'd think they'd want as many people as possible to see the series, but instead they were just using the name in order to get people to subscribe to a private service. And if you couldn't afford that, then you don't deserve to see it. So I don't know if I'll ever watch any more of Discovery because I did not subscribe to CBS All Access or whatever it is. But hopefully I will watch most, if not all, of Next Generation and the original series. I'm not sure how much else I should say about the documentary. It's not terribly long. It's something that if you like Star Trek Deep Space Nine, you should probably see, at least if you're interested in any of the behind-the-scenes stuff or seeing some of your favorite characters again. I've never seen a Star Trek documentary from start to finish. I guess they've done a lot of them, especially William Shatner. So I would be interested in, in watching one about Voyager as well, especially behind-the-scenes stuff. But I enjoyed it. Like I said, it was a mixture. I laughed. Sometimes I try not to cry. Like I said, I do warn you that there are some clips of real life violence and there are some pretty heavy discussions, but there's also a lot of silly and funny things as well as one would expect. Well, I'm not sure what the next episode will be about. I almost finished recording a review of the series You, but I might end up redoing that because it's been a little while since I've watched it and I kind of need to revisit a few of my notes and impressions of the series. These days I'm always up for talking about Star Trek. As for my life, I feel as though there's always something going on emotionally and internally, not necessarily too exciting in terms of daily activities. But for the past few weeks or so, I've actually been okay. Before that, I was 
terrible, at least directly before that. And for the first time in a long time, I kind of just feel like myself. So hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.